Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to this opera preview. Um, I'm going to introduce them in order. Um, first of all, Cal McChrystal is the director. Making <laughs> Cal is making his ENO debut, um, or director, opera directing debut here. Um, and then next up is uh, Samantha Price, who is singing the title role of Ian Anthony. We've also got Chris Hopkins, who's the assistant uh, conductor. Uh, and on the music staff here. Um, and, and a special treat, we also have uh, Megan Beerup, who's the head milliner and therefore responsible for the amazing um, hats and... Megan, Megan. I just mispronounced your name, Megan. I've just been told. Megan, yes, not it. So, to start the proceedings, we're going to actually have a little bit of a treat. We're going to have a, a, a little bit of a preview of one of... Uh, your Iron Anthony songs. So, Cal, do you want to set the context for that? Uh, yes, uh, oh, I'm sure you know Iron Anthony is a, is a raucous comedy, uh, but there should never be laughs without tears. And as the drama climaxes in the second half, um, Iron Anthony sings this song appealing to the Lord Chancellor for her son's happiness. Thank you so much for that. Um, uh, just to start with you, actually, because okay. you've, um, uh, you're also si singing in Marriage of Figaro, uh, or you have su uh, sung in I Marriage have, of yes. Figaro, rather, yes. but you are going to be the, the cover. Yes, um, when that comes around very soon, I'll yes. be covering Carabina. So a bit of a difference. From <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> going from Iolanthe, who's a fairy, to a, uh, a teenage boy <laughs> is, is quite different, yeah. And, and you were telling me off stage before we came on that you've, you've never done, you've never done a, GN, a GNS before. No, absolutely not. This is my very first GNS. Um, and you and had me. <laughs> <laughs> and actually also said that until uh, the ENO Pirates of Penzance, you actually hadn't seen one. No, yep, seeing the Pirates of Penzance was my first experience of GNS. So it's very different for you as an as a opera challenge. Yeah, I think this is probably this production that we're rehearsing at the moment. I've never done anything like it in my life. Right, right, right. <laughs> in a good way, in a very good way. <laughs> but actually, the interesting thing is that ENO have quite a long history of doing GNS. Um, Ireland, in fact, was the very first GNS they ever did back in 1962 in a production that got endlessly revived. Um, it got revived something like 12 times. And wow. And, and then they also, of course, famously, Jonathan Miller did the, the Mikado, which is still in the rep. Um, and, of course, Pirates of Penzance, the one that you said you saw, mm -hmm. um, that uh, Mike Lee famously directed. Um, so what do you think the appeal, the ongoing appeal of GNS is? Jeez. Um, well, I can only speak for myself because I'm not, can't speak for the masses at all. Um, I, I love how accessible the music is um, and just how the characters, even though they're not maybe as realistic as maybe from the Marriage Figaro. There's something in all of those characters that you can find humor in and humanity and just the joy of life is there. It's, it's really uplifting. And everyone comes out of the theater having had a really e enjoyable evening. So yes. how could you not enjoy that? So Cal, if we could go over to you, how did this production come about for you? How did you get the call from ENO to do this? Well, I was very surprised uh, when Daniel Kramer called me about a year and a half ago and said, uh, would I like to do a GNS? And I had wanted to do a GNS for a long time, but I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with all of them. I wasn't from a family where um, I got taken to GNS. My parents liked the Beatles, you know, so we didn't, they didn't take us to GNS. But um, uh, I, I knew some of them, and I, I listened to and read through uh, all of them, and uh, I picked Ialanthi. Um, they did say, don't do Pirates because we've got one, and don't do the Mikado because we've got one. But anything else you can have. So, and Ilanthi absolutely leapt out. It was right up my street. Because? Because, um, because I, I, I sort of, I'm sort of known for physical comedy for some reason. I don't try to make things physical, but they always turn out that way. And I, and just the, the, the environment that Ilanthi is set in with the House of Lords, and fairies. I don't know what is camper, but you, you know, we've got two very kind of glorious camp British institutions and um, going into battle with each other and falling in love in the end. 
And I just thought, oh, the costumes and, you know, and I'll be able to fly people all over the stage. And um, there was so much, there was so much built-in mischief that I thought I could augment. And, um, and the music is, I think it's of the best that, that Arthur Sullivan wrote. It's just gorgeous. So that, that's why I picked that one. And of course, talking of hidden mischief, that's probably the, the signature of your most famous uh, theatre work uh, of, of the last few years, which was One Man, Two Governors, which yep. uh, uh, you were the hidden secret of that, because... Apparently. <laughs> I didn't really want to be hidden, I have to uh, admit, but um, no, but that, uh, that was great fun, that production, and it was, and I was, uh, Nick Heitner asked me to come and put all the sort of physical comedy in, uh, and there was, well, I found places for it, um, wherever I could. And in fact, I remember when we opened on Broadway, Richard Bean, the writer, came up to me at the back of the theatre and said, your laughs are drowning out all my best lines. <laughs> and I just said, all the way to the bank. You know, so. <laughs> yes. Uh, how many of you saw uh, One, Man, One Man, Two Governors? Um, it, it had a scene in it when, when the, well, it was a spoiler now, but, but of course the show's not on, so I can say yeah. it. But when, when the waiter, elderly waiter, falls down the stairs, where uh, I laughed so hard I thought I would stop breathing. Yeah. My favourite kind of laugh is a mixture between a laugh and a scream. And uh, there were lots of those in, in, uh, in One Man, Two Governors. And I'm hoping there's a few in this as well. I mean, there might be. Um, because it's the laugh, it's the kind of laugh you get when you surprise people. Um, and, you know, physical laughs, I think we all, you know, my, my stuff kind of travels all over the world, and I think it's because it's not dependent on witticism or anything, it's just, it's very physical, and that is an international, universal uh, language for comedy. Um, interestingly, the, the wonderful actor Tom Eden that we had in... Um, one Manager Governors who played the old waiter and he was nominated for a Tony Award. It wasn't the most courageous actor I'd ever worked with and I, even though I was 20 years older than him, I had to demonstrate every single fall, push, <laughs> thump. I was black and blue, but I pretended it was easy. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned I mean, the, the universal, universality of f physical laughter as opposed to uh, line laughter, but this, of course, there's both because this is a witty script as well. Yes, it is. And... Um, I've seen GNS done before where they've kind of spoofed it, and I've always been very clear that when something is already so good, you don't need to spoof it. You know, you spoof bad things, but this is so good. I mean, we are, we're doing a very, very mischievous production of it, and uh, there are a few little alterations to the script, um, but I've always kind of asked you know, Gilbert's permission before I put them in. Um, and he's always said yes, which is really handy. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, sorry, what was the question? I forgot. Gil Gilbert's speaking to me now. He's saying, no, you can't do any of that stuff. Um, uh, and, of course, retaining the, um, the musical qualities is your job or your department's job. Um, yeah. I mean, this is first and foremost for an opera house, so um, uh, music is, is, is very primary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and, and as Cal said, th this is, as far as I know and am concerned, this is the best of Sullivan's music. You know, he's absolutely on top form, and, and so is Gilbert. And um, uh, so uh, Tim Henty, who's the uh, principal conductor on this, has gone to extraordinary lengths to, to make a new edition the, of the whole piece with new orchestral parts and he's gone back he went back to the British Library um, went through the manuscript very carefully um, because this this piece in particular but a lot of GNS has, has suffered over over time from uh, little tweaks here and there mostly by doily cart but also by others that have kind of found their way into the edition and become uh, the kind of the material that's actually used so Tim's gone right back to Sullivan and stripped all that out and said, okay, well, what, how close can we get to his original intention? And it's a fascinating process because, you know, mostly little things, and anyone that knows Arlanthi well would notice them. Anyone who doesn't probably wouldn't. But, um, but it, 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 I mean, it kind of sums up the whole experience for me because that you, there's a care that should be taken over this music in the same way that you would with Mozart or Mendelssohn. And when you do take that care, it really comes alive. Um, and, and when you don't, it suffers, you know. And uh, there's a lot of times when Su Sullivan, I feel, has, has suffered from not being taken quite with the same rigor as you would with other music. So 
this has been a great process because I spoke to Tim months ago when he was preparing the score and we went through it very carefully and, and Tim's put a huge amount of work in. So um, to come from it with that perspective has been really interesting. And he, yeah, well, there's a long cadenza. It's, it's only marked long cadenza. Um, uh, so Tim's um, channeled in the way that you've channeled Gilbert. I think Tim rang Sullivan up and said, what would you like? Because presumably there isn't an official orchestration, or, or was there? Was there, was, there was. Um, there was, and it was closely guarded so, so as not to be pirated, um, which meant that then uh, people made new editions from the vocal score right. uh, uh, and they made a total hash of the, of the orchestration. Um, which is another reason to go back and make sure that it's um, actually correct. So in looking at the manuscript, you get the original orchestrations. Um, there, I mean, there are so many fascinating things about the manuscript, one of which Tim has pointed out, which I love, which is that he, there's a lot of shorthand in it um, when sections are repeated and so on, but he always writes Gilbert. He always writes the Gilbert out with total precision you know, as the underlay. So that, it kind of gives you an idea of how carefully he was setting the text and how much he um, respected what he was setting to music. What came first? Was it the, the, the text came first? Yeah, the, music? the text yeah, first, first, I think. Yeah. Way around, yeah. 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 Um, and how big, I mean, the orchestration, is it, is it as big as it, it was bigger than it was 1882 at the Savoy? 1882. Um, I think it's probably similar. We, we, we have a bigger string section, um, but we have a much bigger theatre to fill. So um, the orchestration as it is remains the same. So full, a full string section, then two, two of each uh, woodwind, except one lonely bassoon, um, a couple of horns, a couple of trumpets and trombones and percussion. So it's... This, is, this is one of the original seated. Savoy operas, so it was in the Savoy Theatre, which is just down the street, and mm. is only probably 1,500 seats as opposed to 2,500. Mm. Um, that presumably makes vocal uh, challenges for you mm. as a singer. Yes, there's far more to consider if you're singing in the collie compared to the Scott Savoy. The well. yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, I, no, I don't. And that's a good point to make, though. That there's, it's not just the singing, it's the dialogue that you yes. have to consider as well, that you have to project the dialogue into that theatre in the Collie and be heard in the balcony as well as in the stalls. And that isn't always a, a job that opera singers have to contend with. It doesn't always come up, but it, we've had some really excellent coaching on hand and we've not been allowed to get away with cheating, you know, on <laughs> dropping syllables or consonants or anything like that. So they've, they've been doing their jobs, definitely. <laughs> Um, and making that, that, the, those jokes and, and the dialogue register in this huge volume Presumably that's your job to make sure that they. Yeah, we're kind of feeling our way. We're, sorry, we're kind of feeling our way along with that because you know uh, the collie is a it's a particularly big house, and in fact, um, uh, a few months ago I went to see uh, Nick Heitner, who I'm very friendly with, obviously, and I said, and he he started his career at the Coliseum. We're working as a staff director for ENO, and I said, I'm doing Ilanthi, as you know. What should I do? And he said, oh, cut lots of the dialogue, cut it, cut it, because it's not a dialogue-friendly house. And I haven't done that because I think we are making the dialogue work. Um, so, but we'll find out, won't we? You know, <laughs> so. I, I guess that it, it, when, when this house, this house was used for musicals in the 40s and 50s. It, it, it started as, it was a musical, musical initially. Yes. Yeah, and we're bringing elements, I think, of that kind of variety style back uh, with Ilanthi, and I'm really, really proud to be doing that. And of course, there's also um, spectacle as well, which is where we have an amazing uh, uh, set of um, hats, among other things. I mean, what, 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 what are your responsibilities on the show? Um, we've been well. Have some of you have you all had a look at the lovely designs? Yeah. Paul Brown's beautiful designs at the back there. So we've made we've been making the hats for the fairies. So lots of flowers in different forms. Uh, we've made all the crowns for the House of Lords, and we're doing all the chains of honour and the and that sort of thing, all the regalia. Um, and we've also been making uh, the wings for the fairies, which has been quite nice to do as well. And all the costumes, everything's bespoke, isn't it? You're making it from from scratch. Yes. Actually, I'm, I'm trying... Yeah, most of it is, I think. Um, because, especially with, with... Because it's all period costume, um, then... Or fantasy costume, as you can see from the fairies. Um, we, ha we have to make it from right from the beginning. So how, how big is your team for that? Well, usually it's just me. Um, <laughs> but luckily, it's been really not lovely, this show, because I've had two other people working with me. Um, and 
which has been it's been brilliant actually. So there's just been the three of us, but we've all, I've also had input from other departments as well. In fact, this has been a, a very nice show to work on. I like I like when we work on a show that you get to work with other departments. So we, we've been working with props quite a bit, um, also with the. Uh, Sharon up who does the, the dyeing and printing and that sort of thing. If I've got some wings over here that she's been painting all the wings up. Um, and also working with the costume department as well. Just because it, it's, it's putting putting everything all together. Yeah, so should, should I talk about yes, it? Because um, what, what, we, what we did when we first started, when Paul uh, Brown first came and said he was doing, we were doing fairy wings, we started out, um, well, just basically having a bit of a play and working out what we could do. So we did some, um, this is machine embroidery, and we, I also, we also did some machine embroidery looking on, on fabrics. I started on this sort of thing here and doing these ones. Actually, I can pass them around. Just be careful. Oh, these ones aren't so bad. Those ones have got spikes on them. Do you, I don't know if you want to have them. I mean, these, these are very rough. These were sort of our beginnings. And these ones were a bit bad. So looking at, looking at doing machine embroidery and how we were going to decorate the wings and, and all that sort so of thing. So these are the prototypes. These are prototypes, prototypes that yes. we started with. And same with the other ones over there. And then, then from there, once we, once we work out what we're going to do, um, it was sort of toing and froing with Paul, um, having a few meetings. We, went after, we had a meeting here and we had a meeting in Cardiff. Um, just working out where we were going to go with that. And then we decided we'd do some machine embroidery, but we would also do wings. Um, I'll pass these around just because with where Sharon was going to paint up. And I don't know if you can see if we pass them around, paint up the wings. Um, so it, it was sort of working out, one, how we were going to make up the frame so they could be really durable, and two, how we were going to decorate them. So we've done some... So this is sort of a wing in stages. As I said, be really careful of the, the bits of wire sticking out the end. Um, and then we've gone into the ones... So these are getting more to the stage. These still need to be painted around the outside. So we, we, the, our stages have been... I've made up the frames. Sharon has painted up the fabric at the back, which I've then attached onto the frame. And then she's painted the front bit, which I've also attached on, and then she's go, they go back to her to be painted up. And we've also had a, issues with working out how we were going to put them into the costumes. So we're making pockets. This has been a long conversation with all the... Because this is the costume makers yeah. are doing all this. So we're making pockets so they slot into that and then there'll be a flat piece that comes over here. And hopefully that works. I'll find out on Saturday. <laughs> Saturday. We'll find out Saturday if that works. I think Pre it's going to work. Presumably this is a pretty long process. I mean, you've been working on this for how many months? We, well, we, we started probably... It's been about four months of making at yeah. this stage. Yeah. So we've got... This is one... This is actually going to be one of the ladies' chorus wings. So we have done some machine embroidery on this one. And you can see the frame that we're going to add it to. So I'll, I can pass that around if people want to have a look. And... These are these not quite finished yet, but these these are Sam's wigs. She's gonna she she gets the pretty wings. She gets the pretty. Ah, uh, see. I love you already. Sam, this must be pretty exciting for you to um, to have these things made on you, as it were. Completely. And, well, I mean, you're always very lucky if you get involved with a new production that you, if you get to have your own costume made for you, you're the first person to wear it. Yes. Because um, even though I do like it sometimes if you see in a costume the names of people who've come before you, yeah. that's always quite interesting to think, oh, gosh, that was the last person who wore this costume. Yes. But, yeah, to see it transform from the sketches that are just so beautiful, those designs that you could... T um, when Cal um, first showed me the pictures back uh, when... Probably in the summer last summer last year, um, it was very clear how colourful it was all going to look, and it was so exciting to see those ideas on the page. But then to get to see how it's going to come to life is just so exciting. Of so course, your, your last job here was Winter's Tale, which was which we did one of these opera previews for that, mm. um, which was a brand new opera, Ryan Rigglesworth. Um, uh, so that must be an extraordinarily exciting as a singer to sing notes that had not been heard before. Yeah, I mean, that, that brought its own interesting challenges and, you know, trying to get everything learnt in time when it's still fresh off the page was yeah. half the issue to start with. Um, but that was extraordinary, having Ryan in the room, 
making those decisions on hand and being able to say, actually, I don't like that. We're just going to change it. I've just decided. Let's do it now. Um, that was quite liberating. And you could talk to him so easily about how he, he wanted that phrase to be sung and getting yeah. that inside knowledge. You don't get that ever, really. So it's, yeah. yeah, that was a really wonderful experience. And for you, Cal, I mean, a lot of your work has been creating brand new work, hasn't it? I mean, you, what I love about your career has been you've gone from Cirque du Soleil working in Vegas to uh, E&O to uh, the National Theatre uh, and, and also fringe companies like People Like Us who are smaller fringe comedy companies. Um, so it, it, it's, it's very varied, but, but doing new work as opposed to revivals like this, a, a production, a musical that already exists... Yeah, I, I started making shows from scratch for the Edinburgh Fringe with small, uh, you know, British clown companies. And, um, and uh, Spy Monkey, People Like Us, um, The Mighty Boosh as well, it's just I did their first show. And um, it was a good training, really, because I always felt that the existing material was never quite enough. I always wanted to do my own thing with it as well. And I might get my knuckles wrapped with this because there's a couple of things in this show that I think some people will go, oh, that was a bit too much. But I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope everything I'm doing is sensitive to the, is sensitive to the work. Um, but yeah, I, I, I started kind of devising shows. But I'm a very, very, very performer-centred director and I always my shows are always kind of about the people who are in them and I always want to bring everyone's real personalities out yeah. uh, in 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 the show as well as bringing out the intention of the the author yeah so a big part of it was casting was it I assume if that's yes although I couldn't but I mean in in the uh, in the opera world I mean you have to cast so far in advance and I cast this a year and a half ago on advice from Daniel Kramer and from the casting department. Um, I did get final approval on everyone, but I said, what's the rush? What's the rush? It's a year and a half away. And they said, oh, this is nothing. At the Royal Opera House, it's five years in advance. And I said, does the Royal Opera House, do you think they ever find that on the first day of rehearsal, some of the people they've cast are dead? You know, I mean, do they... You know, it's just, it's such a long... It's such a... It's such a huge gap between offering someone a job and actually starting. And they said, well, thankfully not that. But some singers will say, actually, that role isn't in my voice anymore. Um, so then they have to get someone else at short notice, which I'm saying, well, I'll rest my case. You yes. know. But to get, really, to get the really good people that we've got for this show, and you know, we got all my first choices, um, we did have to act quickly, I understand that now, because singers, you know, good quality singers, um, some of which Sam knows. Um, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. They do get booked up very, very far in advance. <laughs> you know, she knows I'm joking. Yeah, I know. No, I'm her biggest fan. And actually, this, this, this one is slightly unusual, because there are some days, there are three matinee days, when you're going to be doing two shows a day, which you don't normally do in opera. No, never. <laughs> so, yeah, it will be uh, interesting to see how that will impact on people's plans for the day because some people have quite rigorous, rigorous sort of schedules and um, rituals almost about when they eat and when they go to sleep and do they rest beforehand, do they do any exercise and all that. But that kind of goes out the window if you've got to do it twice in one day. Um, yeah. And I know it's sort of nothing compared to the world of musical theatre, but, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how people cope with that but I'm sure it'll be fine and of course the collie now these days it does actually part, act as a part-time home for musical theatre mm. last summer uh, you know we had Sunset Boulevard we've had Bass Out of Hell for heaven's sake um, <laughs> which is uh, a very different sort of show um, but of course the difference is that they're very they're amplified yes they yes. have the, the microphones for the dialogue and for the singing for the entire show and they yeah. they don't always have to think about am I going to be able to be heard if I'm not facing outwards and singing into the wings and all that? But they have a, a degree of freedom yeah. that we don't. As, as somebody from the music department, do you find that um, you have to keep uh, the, 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 the reconciling the demands of the, the, the sound versus the demands of the director and the drama? How do you keep those juggling? Um, well, you try and have an idea of what the demands are for the Colosseum. I mean, Cal said that we've got the most amazing cast, so it, I have to say we don't have to worry too much. It's mostly just kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And, um, and although it's the biggest 
theatre in London, it's, um, it's so beautifully designed that if you sing well with good technique and, in fact, speak well with a good technique, you will be heard, and it will, you know, it does carry. And I, often I find myself in, in shows that I'm not in, I'll go and sit in the balcony because actually the sound is quite often the best up there, for example. So, um, so a lot of it is just making sure that everyone's singing properly, and especially with so much kind of physicality as there is in this show, that, that, um, that they're still singing well. Um, but that's more to do with being distracted by having so much other, so many other things to do than, than the physicality itself being difficult. Because Cal and Lizzie, who's an amazing choreographer, are so attuned to the needs of um, of, of, the of the singers and the stage, and it, it, you know things basically things not being upstage, for example. But I mean, there's many levels of um, things to think about from that perspective. Yeah. Have you not in the theatre? You haven't been in the theatre yet. No, all. we're in so, on Saturday. So, so that's when the when it work when you when you find out if it works or not. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, of course, presumably with a comedy as well, it also depends on the audience and the reactions that the audience brings to it. Yeah, this is for me. This is one of the most interesting things about doing this because the ENO audience are not my usual catchment, and I've been coming and seeing a lot of things here and looking around, going, "Oh, okay, all right, all right." Are they, are they, are they going to laugh? Is that lady with the blue hair going to laugh? You know, and, and so, um, because I have a lot of, you know, most of my stuff is still kind of for 18 to 35-year-olds, and, and there's a real mix. But when I, when, I, when I have done, like, you know, One Man, Two Governors was half the people that came to see that were national regulars, and the other half were coming to see James Corden because uh, they liked him in Gavin and Stacey or whatever. So, and that was a mix. And I do find that a physical comedy, um, everyone laughs, the, uh, the audience laugh as one beast, you know, even if there's uh, a, a, a huge age range. And this is a family show. I mean, it is, it's ideal, I think, for people who have never been to an opera before because, um, as Sam was saying before about Gilbert and Sullivan, and particularly with this production, it's so accessible because laughter is very interactive. Um, and uh, and I, I hope, I hope that the strictest GNS fan will 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 like this show as well, even if they want to tick me off a bit about a couple of things afterwards. But yeah, the the, the comedy, I, I I want big belly laughs in this show. Because that comedy is your first, is your where you came from. So. Yeah, it's. I really. I have a lot of friends of mine started off in comedy and then wandered into uh, storytelling and different kinds of things. But I've never really. I'm very immature. I've never outgrown wanting to make people laugh. That sound of laughter is what drives me. I really love it. Yeah, I'm thinking of Complicity, for instance. I mean, Simon McBurney has directed here too. Yes. And Simon um, Complicity, of course, won a Perry Award for comedy once upon a yeah, time. Yeah. And now they do very, very. Yeah, much they more started out things. as a as a clown company, really. Yeah. Like like the ones you've worked for. Yeah. Um, and now he's he's a much more ser serious minded artist. He's very serious now, Simon. <laughs> 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 Um, have you got a taste now for opera? Would you like to do some more? Uh, I would. I mean, I did an opera for ETO a couple of years ago. Um, I did a Haydn, uh, which was well-received, I think. Um, uh, but it wasn't a big production like like this is. And I, uh, yes, I would love to do more. I'd love to do more here. The chorus are very happy in this show, and they keep inviting me back as if it's up to them. But, they're, <laughs> but we're keeping them very busy. They're dancing, they've got lines. One of the things I wanted to do with this uh, show was to slightly blur the lines between principles and chorus, because I don't like it when you just get a block of chorus wandering on and off. And these ones are very involved, and lots of... In There's so much talent in that chorus. And uh, they are, a lot of them are, are really shining through, aren't they? And they have their own characters and uh, their own little bits. Uh, one of them's got a dog on his arm. It's a puppet, but you never know. Um, and we've got people with gout and long beards and humps. And we've got all humanity is represented in this show. So, and they're, so they're very happy. And the, the choreography is challenging for them, but... Uh, because we're having to do things so quickly. The biggest shock about working in opera, where there is a repertory chorus, is how few times we get the chorus every week. We, we've got three or four sessions at the most where we have the chorus in, and they're really busy, and they're, they're working like mad to learn all the steps and learn the music. And, and, um, but they're brilliant, and they're going to steal the show, I think. 
Yeah, because unlike other members of the company, that they are in every show, aren't they? Yeah. And, and your, your, your orchestra, is, is that the same thing of them? They play for all the shows? Yes, they're in all the shows. So, um, I mean, I don't know how they do it. The orchestra especially, um, you know, they'll jump between Glass and Handel and then Sullivan and Berg and Mozart. And yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, you know. And, and the few times that I've, I'm lucky enough to play in the pit sometimes with them, and it's just extraordinary the way they can change on a, on a dime, you know, to fit the style. When do you when do you perhaps get called to play? Um, well, when, have, when there's somebody down, or or do you have a, a designated uh, role? Well, it depends on the on the opera. So um, I just played in Rodolinda, for example, last season. Um, played the harpsichord uh, in the pit, and I've played the piano in Lulu, and yeah, um, you know, so, so it's as required. When there's keyboard parts, yeah, yes. we we kind of get shuffled into the pit. Yeah, yeah. and presumably you have a, a somebody who plays for the. The rehearsals, somebody, somebody else. Or in theory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this time, actually, we've we've been a man down, so um, there's been quite a lot of shuffling around the piano, um, and I've ended up Chris playing does quite a lot. lot of so. singing as well. He I sings do a lot in of singing. for the people who are off in the cold. I do. Very yeah. good. Very versatile. Very kind. Um, so I guess yes. you get to know the score very well that way. You get to know the score very well, yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, playing it on the piano is is kind of the best way to learn it, I think, and especially. You know, you have a full score next to you, and you've got the vocal score, and you try and make as you try and approximate as much as you can the sound, the sound and the style of the orchestra all the time. So, yeah. that's a very nice way of kind of learning it from the inside, as it were. And how much preparation time does the orchestra get? I mean, how many calls do you get bef before you go? The orchestra gets. Uh, I think they had two calls on their own, and then we have two zitz probes, which are with the um, uh, principal, one with the principals, and one with the principals and chorus. And then five stage and orchestra rehearsals, I think, and that's it. And the dress rehearsal. So it's not an awful lot. It's a pretty to, quick turnaround. To, to, yeah. To get yeah. It. So it's all sight reading, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, some shows, of course, come back and, and they have their own parts, and so it's much quicker. But um, you know, we had about the same for Lulu, I have to say, and that was a real. <laughs> you know, three hours of Berg is is something to put together in six hours. It's yeah. That's not very so. long, is it? No, it's not. Long. Compared to the time you have to put together the show. Um, yeah. Uh, you had what six six weeks? Uh, yeah, we started rehearsals uh, on the twenty seventh of December. Uh, so, did I have a nice Christmas? Not really. <laughs> I was uh, I was just kind of like shaking in my shoes. Um, but uh, we had three days with the with the principals, and then we started in earnest on the I think third of January or something. And we'd been uh, we we've, we've been working um, five and a half days a week since then. And presumably your preparation uh, precedes all of that. I mean, you, you, you'll have done design meetings and, and the casting. I mean, you said a year and a half ago you cast. Yes. I, I, uh, the first thing, uh, the, uh, I'm sure you all know that the wonderful Paul Brown passed away in November, our designer, uh, an absolute genius and a, a terrible loss to the uh, industry. Um, and he and I had a lot of fun. Uh, well, we... we we knew we were doing the show at ENO, and we knew that we had to do a kind of modern twist on it. And we decided we're not doing that. We're going to do a traditional production. So it's very, as you can see, it's a, it's it's absolutely um, uh, co correct to period. And um, uh, and so I worked a lot with Paul, um, Tim Henty, and I. Tim, the conductor, and I. I went over to his flat in Woking, and he played the piano, and I sang through the whole thing. And he educated me a lot about which bits were the Mendelssohn influences and the Wagnerian influences. And so I, um, I had no other music in my head, really, for the last year and a half. I was just uh, going over all these, all these beautiful tunes. I assume Paul finished his design work before, long before he died? He did. Uh, Paul was actually ill when I first met him, uh, but he was having treatment. And uh, then his cancer came back um, about nine months ago, I think. Uh, and he was very keen to get this finished. He loved doing this. And I remember him saying to me, he said, this is so refreshing because normally directors want me to smear blood all over the stage in the second <laughs> act. And you're saying, can we have a horse for the comedy value? <laughs> you know, so, um, and we do have a horse. 
Um, it's not a real one, sadly. The budgets here don't stretch. But, um, but uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a great laugh putting it together. And Lizzie and I met quite a lot and, and uh, jumped around trying. I knew that I wanted a particular style for the fairy dances. Um, most are being demonstrated by Sam beautifully in the show. Uh, this Greek revivalist, Isadora Duncan style, which seemed to fit very well. Uh, so yeah, there was there was uh, there was a lot of prep went into it. So Sam, for the show, you've also had to be a dancer. Well, it turns out that that was quite handy. <laughs> it wasn't checked beforehand. But yes. Right. Are you are you, you're, are you trained in, in in that? Oh well, not really. I, I went to ballet classes when I was a child, yes. and I you know I wasn't very cool in school. I kept going right through to my A levels. Um, with my ballet lessons, but th that was it. I, you know, exams and university and things took over. So, um, never have I ever officially gone for a dance lesson since. But, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it seems to have come in very, You're very handy. Very <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, this is the odd arabesque that you think, oh, I remember this. <laughs> Shall we throw it over to some questions? Who wants to go? Yes, here we go. I repeat the question. It's uh, the song that was cut from yeah. the, the from previous versions. Are you reinstating it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. No. Um, I don't know if that's a discussion you had with Tim. Well, yes, I think Tim and I weren't keen on the song. I mean, I was fascinated that it was there, and the second half is quite short without it. But it. It, I think it, it came at the end of the finale, it came after the finale, and it felt like a bit of a, it was very witty and it's a lovely tune, but it felt like a bit of a lecture. And the finale tune is one of the most joyful pieces of music ever written. Uh, and both Tim and I felt that we didn't want to, um, to dampen the, 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 the joyful feeling after the, uh, after the finale. So no, it's, uh, it's not in this production. I mean, actually, the, the dramatic flow of the music is is served really nicely. That it goes from the trio and and into a, another dance, and and actually, Sam, the, the 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 bit that Sam sang earlier, is the kind of um, kind of emotive dramatic part of that, and that as a kind of proportion of the act two, I think that works really well musically as well as dramatically. Uh, the illustrations about uh, they show sheep. Are they cardboard or real? Uh, are the illustrations uh, cardboard or real? Uh, the, the well, the sheep in the in the show, I think they're made of glass fibre or something. They're very realistic looking. Yeah, and whenever we come in in the morning, they've all moved around. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's something strange going on. No, the the puppets the the puppets in the show have a we've we've got. We've got a cow, and we've got nine sheep, and we've got a flamingo, we've got birds, we've got a dog. Uh, there's the horse, the aforementioned horse, and there's pheasants, and it's, um, yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to feast the eyes on. That's menagerie. There is, it is, it's a complete zoo, yes. <laughs> Next question. Yes, down there. Is there a movement director? Uh, there is a the, the, there there isn't a movement director. Uh, there is a choreographer, um, Lizzie G, and she's a very very uh, um, well regarded um, West End choreographer. And she's done quite a lot of GNS. She's done a lot of those all male GNS productions uh, at, at the um, Union. And yes, yes, that's yeah. at the Union. Yeah. Uh, and she's absolutely brilliant, and we love working together. I mean, it's, it's actually it's a very very happy team you know we all we all get on very well and we all tease each other and uh, have a laugh one of um one of our singers cannot get through uh more than three minutes without laughing and i still haven't heard what she sounds like she's just <laughs> so this is the girl the very talented ellie lan who plays phyllis she just laughs all the time i won't tell you why but the one thing that sam says that just gets her every time is she can't continue so but no but the movement, the movement is movement is being done by me and by and by uh, Lizzie. 
it's quite a difference of scale, isn't it? Did you see those union all, all male? Um, no, I, I know, I've never seen one. Oh, they're pretty amazing. Um, but they're obviously the union is a 50 seater theatre in Southwark. Um, oh. So 50 seats to uh, two and a half thousand is a bit, a bit different. One, one, uh, an entire run won't fit into one night here. Yes. So. Yeah. No, I think Lizzie in particular is finding it very challenging not to have the chorus more. Uh, uh, it, it's just, as I said, it's 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 the it's result of having a repertory chorus. But um, the I wanted so much choreography in the show, and there is a lot, uh, and there's just there's there's too much to learn in the in the time. But they're all so professional; they're, they're, they're they are picking it up and doing very well with it. Yeah. And we've put the we put some of them at the back. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> uh, uh, next question. Down here. You mentioned, you mentioned that you distinguished the really proper tunes. Were you uh, trained in singing? When, when oh, yes, I did actually. I, I started out as an actor and I did... I did, uh, I did train as a singer as well. Uh, a long time ago, I trained at the Royal Scottish Academy. Um, and uh, and I, I kept up my, my singing training for 17 years when I was an actor. So, yeah, so I, 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 I didn't come to this completely blind. <laughs> Any questions further back? We had all front row. Where was the where were the material sourced? They're from well, a lot of them are from. Um, I don't know if you know the Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few uh, cheaper fabric shops down there with our budgets. But but um, the, the the thing, um, a lot of the like on the a lot of the wings. Um, actually, the ones that are painted, we've just used. Uh, silk organza so we, we just had a roll of that and that's all been painted up and then the other ones that have got the sparkle to it they are actually quite cheap fabrics there's sort of a layer of net and then there's a iridescent fabric and then we've got a, another fabric over the top and then um, it's just threads that we've machine embroidered to create that pattern um, I don't think the other ones are over here but yeah so so when you see all the the stitching that, that's all just stitching that we do on the, on the um, on the machine. I've got some very nice old reliable bananas that work very well. And presumably you're, you're given a budget and you have to sort of... I luckily... I don't, I don't work on the budget. I, well, I do work to a budget. To a budget, But yes. someone else... We have a supervisor. So with every show, um, uh, Sarah Bowen is supervising the show and so she works out the budget and who's going to make all the costumes and the the cost of the materials and all that sort of thing. So I just ask for things and either get told, yes, you can have it or no, you can't, um, which is, is quite nice. And usually if you can put a good case for it, then usually it turns out to be yes, you can, yeah. which is good. Um, the challenges, I, the question is right. about the challenges of singing and dancing uh, at the same time. I think I've been quite lucky that I'm not doing an awful lot of singing and dancing at the same time. Um, that's been reserved to my colleagues, Ellie and Marcus. You'll be delighted with their skills. I, I think they're amazing. Um, but I, I'm doing quite a lot of uh, movement with the dialogue. Um, so that, uh, I've been working closely with Cal and Lizzie to try and pace it. It's is a very different way of working for me. Well, one, doing the dialogue at all, but it's it's stripped away from a lot of the naturalistic approaches that I've maybe experienced before. Um, with the postures and... Ah, what was the, the terminology? The lady who founded this movement? I, don't, I can't remember. Isadora Isab Duncan. Is Isadora Duncan, yes. Um, so it, that, I think... Um, I've had to, yeah, practice the dialogue in a very different way than I was expecting to. Um, but actually, I quite like it from a memory point of view, that sometimes if you can attach a bit of text to a movement and a place in the stage, it helps you bring it all together and it cues in, oh, I say this line with this movement. And it, for me, I, I've been quite pleased that that's been a helpful approach, actually, for memorising what to say when. Yes, I did ask you off, off before we came on about mm. if there's prompts at the Eddie and O, because presumably there aren't music, musical prompts. I mean, you would have to shout out a line of somebody. Shout, yeah. shout, <laughs> forgot. But if there's, if there's uh, dialogue loss, uh, you, would that be your job too? 
We've got uh, Ben McAteer in our cast, who's fabulous, but who also knows everyone else's lines. Uh, so he's our kind of, <laughs> he's our fail safe on stage. Next question. <laughs> Will the production inform our current times in a useful way? No. <laughs> I, I, I think um, it's always, it's a temptation. I've, I've said this before. Uh, I think some people would have been tempted to do a bit of an Ian Hislop rewrite on the satire in the show. It is a satirical piece, but I just, I just didn't want to do it because I think the satire is so good. And when I first read it, I was amazed that uh, so many things that we are, are talking about the House of Lords now, they were saying back then in the 1880s. And I just wanted to leave that alone. So I think this won't tell us about our current situation, but it'll tell us a little bit about where we came from to get into this mess. Uh, and um, so we're not, we're not actually... I haven't written any Brexit gags or anything like that. There's, it's... We're keeping strictly in period. You know, the Queen is Victoria, and we're staying absolutely solidly there. And I hope people won't be disappointed that we haven't done the version of I've got a little list with all the, you know, current references. But I just, I want this to be an immersive piece of Victoriana. And, and I think by drawing us out of that, those innocent times, we'll just be kind of spoiling it. But there are things to be read in. I mean, you know, Lines like, this is what comes of having women involved in politics. I mean, that's obviously, you see, that would have got just as big a laugh back then. So no need to touch stuff like that, as fine as it is. It's amazing that a show that's this old could be that resonant. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Um, there's one of the, the lovely designs sung all the way throughout the war. The House of Lords did nothing in particular, but did it very well. You know, there we are. Anybody else at the back? Uh, no more questions? You have just outlined sort of the last few comments why some of you talked about right at the beginning why Gilbert Cromwell is still performed so often now when it's 125, 130 years. That's why. Because what he wrote then still resonates now. Yes, it does. It does. And of course, you know, they are, I can't think of. Oh, well, I, I can think of very few partnerships that are such a treasure for uh, Britain than Gilbert and Sullivan. I mean, look what they've given us. And, uh, and most people, even if they've never seen a Gilbert and Sullivan or uh, don't know that they're singing Gilbert and Sullivan, everyone can sing. There's one or two or three or more tunes that people can harm. They remember from their childhood or whatever. And uh, I think it's, it's funny, I, I was lucky enough to be at the opening night of Hamilton. And it really is, uh, it's a fantastic show, so clever. But I thought, this is, this is, this is almost as good as Gilbert and Sullivan because, <laughs> because the lyrics are so clever and the, the music, I was less fond of the music, but it's great, but the, it's the lyrics. And I think, yeah, this is what, they, they were making the Hamiltons of their of day. The day, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, because Hamilton is very much a rap show, isn't it? And it's, uh, it is. Uh, Only 30% of it is rap, actually. Yeah. The rest the rest are musical songs. But but I think I think it's a shame that more people don't go and see GNS. And it's one of my, you know, my, uh, my prime objectives with this show is to get more people in to see it. And we're doing that through laughter and through respecting the work in itself, but just more laughs you know, per minute than there, there has been perhaps in the past in these shows. So I'm, I, I, hope, I hope I've done the right thing, but I really want everyone to come and see this and, and fall in love with GNS. I mean, presumably one of the big problems with GNS has been the, the museum piece, quality, museum quality of the, the old Doily um, uh, Cart productions. Yes, yeah. I mean, the Doily Cart, I, I, I never went to see a Doily Cart production. I wish I had, because even though the, the chap playing... Strephon was 76 or whatever. Um, uh, he was a he was a very close link to the 
to someone who played it in uh, in Gilbert and Sullivan's time, and I wish I'd I wish I'd gone to see it, but I think the 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 performances had become quite wooden by the time they closed uh, up in the 80s. Um, and it wasn't something that seemed to be appealing to younger people. But it should be, and I, th I think young people will, will enjoy this production enormously. And that's where the resurgence of the interest in the GNS is so interesting with the, the stuff that was done at the Union. And I love that link that you've got with Lizzie being here, because the Union, as I said, this tiny theatre, they took them on tour, which is how they, they were seen by a bigger audience. Um, and they went to Australia with uh, some of their productions and, uh, and, and went to Hackney Empire and things like that. But it's interesting that a younger generation has also discovered the shows too. Yes, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots, there's lots, and I think it's so nice when young people discover something that, that they can relate to that is, in fact, um, they would never have thought they would have related to it until you got their bum on the seat and they saw it. Yeah. So this, this run begins uh, very soon, February the 13th. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We're ready. Uh, we are ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. I've given everyone the morning off tomorrow because I just we haven't got the chorus and yep. I'm starting to change things just for looking for something to do. So I just said, right, don't come in tomorrow morning. And we're doing a, a run for our boss, Daniel Kramer, tomorrow afternoon. So wish us luck. <laughs> but I, I, I would like to I, I, I'd like to um, I'd like to thank all of you for supporting ENO because um, it's it's been such a thrill to work here and to come into a place where everybody works so hard and works all the time, and to still find such a freshness of uh, uh, such a freshness and a love for the work, and every ridiculous thing I've asked for, and no one has said no to anything, um, as you'll see, perhaps to your horror. Um, uh, it's just, but it's this this. The ENO is full of the most keen, hard-working uh, people who love what they do, and it's an absolute joy to work here. So thank you for your support. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I think on that note, it's a perfect opportunity just to thank you, thank you, the audience, and thank you all for being on the panel today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.